Good to see you all here this morning. Thanksgiving week is upon us. Hopefully you got your things out that you're thankful for, along with your turkeys and stuffing and everything else. There was a story who went off the, of a girl who went off to college, and she didn't write home a whole lot. But on one occasion, she decided to write her parents. And when they got the letter, they opened it, and this is what the letter said. Dear Mom and Dad, I would have written sooner, but all my stationery burned up when the dormitory burned down. She went on to say, Please don't worry. I found this good friend, and I have been living with him now for the last three months. And Mom, I think you ought to know that he is such a good friend that we have decided to get married. And oh, by the way, you're going to be grandparents soon. After she had written all that and signed her name, she put a P.S. at the end. Please disregard all the above. The dormitory did not burn down. I am not living with a man. I did not get married. I am not going to get married, and I am not pregnant. But I did get, get a D in history. <laughs> it's all about perspective, isn't it? If you can change your perspective, bad news can become good news. If you change your perspective, good news can become bad news. It's all about where we come from. And what we hear. We talked before about how the, the Word of God talked, gave us a description of people that it called troublesome. People that would come into your, your homes and disrupt things. A few weeks ago, we looked at criticism. We asked the question, should we ever criticize God? Should we ever criticize His leaders? And should we ever criticize the leaders of men? As we spend time with that, we, we looked at three guiding principles to help us understand this, that criticism or correction has this foundation. There's bad criticism and there's good criticism, but good criticism has as its underlying root correction. Three guiding principles. First off, a foundation. The foundation of any good criticism, the foundation of any good correction is going to be founded in something written or something spoken. Our example, of course, is God. God gave us his written word and he has spoken some things to us. He holds us accountable for the things he wrote to us, the things he said to us. That's the foundation. Criticism that is not founded is useless. It's usually harsh. It's destructive. It needs to be Founded on something. So that's the first principle. The second principle is function. The purpose of the result desired. The function of criticism or correction cannot be for personal gain of the person giving the correction or the criticism, but to better that particular individual who is receiving it or the group that they are a part of. That should be the function of criticism, of correction. The forum, public, private, or small group, it should only match or be less than the, where the offense or where the, the problem took place. If you need correction, something went wrong. If you did it privately, then the uh, correction should come privately. If you did it publicly, well, then it's up to God. You listen to God and find out, should we, how should we do this? But he gave us an order. He said, first off, and Jesus taught us this, he said, first off, if you see your brother sinning, go to him privately. If he doesn't listen to you then, take a group of people with you. If he doesn't listen to the group of people, take it before the church. But he gave us a, a forum there. 
First off, go go private. Secondly, go small group. Third, go go public. We said that if you stop receiving correction, you will, will you will lose your source. If you stop listening to your boss at work, you'll lose your job. If you're in the army and you stop listening to the officer who is above you, you will lose your position. You may eventually get kicked out. You have to listen to the chain of command. If you change who you receive correction from, so too moves your source of power. Whoever you receive correction from is the one for whom you receive your source of power. Now, the, the enemy employs this tactic to try and take away your power and put you under him. He wants you to receive his correction. He wants you to receive his criticism. Something that comes from his kingdom, not the things that come from God. Because by doing so, he moves you away from his, his uh, or God's power under his. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He gave them a criticism. Has God really said? He gave them a correction. And the day that you eat of it, you're going to become as gods. They listened and they switched their source of power. The devil doesn't always want to tell us about that. He will have subtle ways to try and do this. To try and change you from your, your source of power. So we took that and, and applied it to, to uh, a number of different examples. We looked at examples of people who criticized God. And people who criticize God, uh, that didn't go so well, did it? We, sh- we should not be criticizing God. But we're going to look at another example today of something that you can do. We looked at uh, people who criticize God's leaders. In particular, we looked at people who criticize Moses. How did that go? It, it didn't go so well because first off, their foundation was wrong. Now, God will, will criticize his leaders, but he sends it first off. He'll send it through his spirit. His spirit will try and correct those leaders to bring them back. When they don't listen, he'll send prophets. When they don't listen, then they get judged. That's the pattern that we see in the, in the Word of God. But what about man's leaders? Well, here in this country, this is the one we, we used. In this country, where does the power of the president, where does the power of the Congress, where does the power of that come from? The people. So where should the correction and where should the criticism come from? The people, wherever the power source comes from is where the criticism or the correction should come from. However, criticism must be founded in what is written or what is spoken. You can't just criticize because, well, I don't think he ought to do that. I don't think she ought to do that. I just don't feel good. Where's it written? Where's the intention? There's got to be, be good. Bad criticism is, well, I don't like the way that senator looks. They just look ugly. <laughs> That's bad criticism. That's not founded on anything. But you can go back to and say, well, this is what the Constitution says. This is what the people said when they voted. This is what the people said when they did this. That you can do. So anyway, we went on last time. We looked at six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination. Seven things that God hates. I saw some people putting some things up on uh, Facebook about that. And uh, very interesting on, on some things we're, we're up on that. But seven things that, that the Lord hates. He says, first off, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, 
a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, we spent time on that last week looking at what all those things were. But then we went over to Proverbs chapter 26, and we saw that there is one who is called a talebearer. And the Word of God says that in a talebearer resides all seven of these things. All seven of these things are in a talebearer. What do you think God thinks about talebearers? Well, if he hates these seven things and all seven are in a talebearer, don't be one. And so we went to the Word of God and we, we looked at one in particular who was a talebearer. His name was Doeg. Doeg. We, t- we talked to him, remember, before. Uh, there's a lot of Matthews. There's a lot of Marks. There's a lot of Johns. There's a lot of Daniels. There's a, a, a lot of uh, people by these kind of names. But there are no Doegs. Do you know a Doeg? He's not a very good guy. People don't name their kid after Doeg. I mean, it just sounds funny, but beside that, it's, uh, it, it's not good. So he overheard a conversation, and he came back to Saul, and Saul said, you know, you guys aren't helping me out here. My own son was in covenant with uh, David, and you aren't helping me out. He says, how come you're not telling me what's going on? And so he pleaded for them based on emotion, not principle. It is bad news when a leader tries to get you to act on emotion and not principle. For shame for the leader. We have some in our country. We've had some in the history of the past. And they try and get people to play. They play, play on your emotions. But we are to operate on principle. Certainly we know that because if you're going on down the road and the speed limit says 55 and you're going 80 and the, the lights come on behind you. You pull over. Why were you, uh, you, did you know you're doing 80 miles an hour? Yeah, but I, it didn't feel like it was 80. Oh, well, if it didn't feel like it was 80, we don't need to give you a ticket. Was that, was that what they're going to do? Uh-uh. No. Well, I just felt like going really fast today. I didn't feel like you cared. No. What's he going to judge you on? The principle. What's written? Now, if you got a ticket for going 55 on a road that wasn't marked. And he just said, well, I don't, today I, I, I kind of changed the speed limit for today. I didn't feel like people should be going 55 on this road and, well, it's not marked, so it's whatever I want it to be. Would you go with that? No, you would fight that, wouldn't you? Where is it written? Where is it stated? Because that's where good criticism, good correction comes from. But though I go over heard the conversation, and Saul played on his men, on their emotions. If you go back to the story, we were in it last week. And so Doeg stepped up and he says, uh, I saw David. He came over to this city, spoke to the priest. He said, first off, that the priest sought after God for him, inquired of the Lord. Then he gave him provisions. And then he gave him the sword of Goliath. And we went back to the story. We looked at it and he didn't, uh, the priest didn't search or inquire of the Lord at all for him. And he didn't give them provisions. He gave them bread. Five loaves. That's all he had. I got five loaves of bread. You can have those. And he gave him the sword of Goliath. But he did so thinking that David was on a mission for the king. But Doeg conveys what he saw in the worst possible light he could do to make David look bad so that Saul came out. He already wanted David to look bad. And Saul came out with an idea that not only was David bad, but so was the priest. And so were the priests, plural. And so was the city. And so he told his men to slay all the priests that had come in the priest's family. 
And the men wouldn't do it. So he said to Doeg, you do it. So Doeg did it. Killed them all. Then Doeg went back to the city and killed the whole city. Men, women, and children. Why? Did they do anything wrong? Was it based on anything that was written? It was based on how Saul felt. Based on what Doeg caused him to feel on the report that he gave him. That is a talebearer. That's why God hates these kind of things. So don't be doing it. Don't let talebearers into your house. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. Now we got all the review out. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is as close of a story as I could find of someone criticizing God and getting away with it. We want to see why he got away with it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Exodus 32, you all know it well. You may not know it by number, but Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf. Moses was up in the mountain. They thought he was delayed. They made the golden calf, the worship of the golden calf. God said, get down off the mountain. Your people have rebelled. (laughs) And so after that, the Lord said to Moses, depart from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Who brought them out? Well, God did. God did, didn't he? Didn't God say, I'm going to bring them out? I'm going to bring them to a land. Didn't God say that? God said, I I will bring them out. When he called Moses, didn't he say, I will bring them out. I will bring them to a land. But now what happens? It's kind of like, you know, a husband and wife. When the kids act up. Your son, right? <laughs> no longer mine. No, no, they're acting like you right now. I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, Jebusite. Go out to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So God says, look, if I go with you, I'm going to wipe you out. I mean, I have patience, but you guys... You're pushing the buttons. And you pull another number like this, and I'm not even going to, because I'm just going to wave my hand and you all be gone. Because you're messing with God. God does things, He can do things instantly. He can just wave His hand and you all are gone. Just out of here. So He says, we, we can't risk that. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my angel. And the angel will go with you. And you'll have the same results. You're still going to get to the land. I'm still going to drive out all the people that are there. Everything is the same except I'm not going. The angel is. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments by Mount Horeb. Well, you can tell God's angry with with, uh, Israel. He's speaking to Moses. Now, God's not angry with Moses. Moses wasn't there. He was up in the mountain with God. He was getting the law. He's minding his own business. He had no idea anything was even going on until God says, get down. The people you brought up. Those people of yours, they're messing up. You need to go down there and straighten them out. So he did. Now, if, think about this for a moment. If you had a promise from God that he's going to take you somewhere 
And he's going to give you all these good things, this good land. He's going to drive out all the inhabitants. And then God says, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to send an angel. And the angel will accomplish the same thing. How many of you are going to say, okay. How many of you would settle for it? Well, as long as I get the same end result. Put it to you this way. You're out shopping for a new car. And you've got a salesman. And this salesman is there. Uh, apparently, he's gotten upset with you a few times. Because, you know, you want too much car for too little money. Or you, you want something done to the car that they don't want to do. He's just getting upset. So he says, look, you're still going to get the car. You're still going to get the car for the amount of money that we said. But I'm going to let so-and-so do the deal instead of me. Uh, I think a lot of people would say, well, fine, as long as I still get the car, I still get the money. That's fine. That's all right. Let's go. But um, Moses is not happy with this deal. Now, perhaps this is not a bad deal to the people, but it certainly is to Moses. Moses did call it, or the people did call it bad news, but certainly it is to Moses. Verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle a meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out of the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, he calls it the tabernacle of meeting simply because he was meeting God there. That's it. I mean, it's tabernacle of meeting. This is where I meet God. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. So it's a big fanfare. Moses is letting everybody know, I am going to meet God. We got this tent set up. It's just outside the camp. When you see me coming, you know where I'm going. Y'all come on out to your tents. This is a big deal. And so they would all come out and they would watch Moses go and meet God for them. When, he, when Moses would get into the, the tabernacle of meeting, presence of God would come down. Other places tell us that when Moses would come from the presence of God, his face would glow. And if you read it in one passage, it makes it sound a little funny, but this is what happened. Moses would go into the tabernacle of meeting, meet with God. His face would glow. He would come out and tell the people all the things that God said with his face glowing. Sometimes we hear about the veil that Moses wore. And we think that the people could not handle the glory that came from Moses' face. So he put a veil on. That is not true. Moses would let the people see him with all the glory shining bright. Coming right from the presence of God. But as he left the presence of God... After a couple hours or a day or however long it was, the glory would begin to fade. And so he put a veil over his face so that the people wouldn't see that the glory faded. As long as you had that veil on, they all thought it was the same way as it was before. So they didn't see Moses without the veil, except when Moses came out of the presence of God. Now, if you wonder why Moses did that, if you had a stiff-necked people that you're trying to help out, and they keep questioning everything that you said, you used every tactic I guess you could. Anyway, that was Moses' tactic. That's what he did. But this is where he would meet with God. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
Yet you have said, I know you by name. You've also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. He just kind of throws that in there. I just want you to consider this, the, this people that you say I brought up. Uh, they're your people. I'm just your leader to bring them on out here, but they are your leader, your, your people. So he's meeting with God and he says, uh, you know, God, I, I got to know more about you. I got to know more about your plan. If I'm going to be your leader, if I'm going to be the one who's going to help you out with this, I need to know some things. But he says, uh, this is your people. It's not mine. Now, Moses had a promise from God. I wrote these in your outline. There's just a reference. You can go look at these later on or watch them on the screen, whatever you'd like to do. And the Lord said in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Who is bringing them to the land? God is. Who does God make that promise to? Moses. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Whose people are they? God's people. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. Who will be with Moses? God. Is he saying an angel will be with Moses? He is saying who will be with Moses? God. I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What mountain is it? Right where they are. Go and gather the elders of the Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Who will bring them up? God. Exodus 4, verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have I, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and who will be in his mouth? God, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Verse 15. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with you, your mouth, and with his mouth. Speaking of Aaron, his brother. And I will teach you what you shall do. So all this time we have these promises that God said over, this is in one visit with him. Remember, criticism is based on what is spoken or what is written. God spoke this to Moses, but it eventually became written. And he promised him four, five, six times, I will be with you. I will go with you. I will bring this people up. I will put words in your mouth. I will teach you what to say. God does not say an angel. He says, I. So when Moses is called and he answers the call, these are the terms of the agreement. 
you go, you do what I say, and I will be with you. I will go with you. I will put words, all those different things. Now, because of the people rebelling, not because of Moses, but because of the people rebelling, God has said, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send an angel. If you're Moses, are you going to rebel? Are you going to rebel? Are you going to, are you going to complain? Are you going to bring God back to what he said? Hold on, God. I took this job. <laughs> I took this job because you said you would go with me. I took this job because you said you would teach me what to say. I took this job because you said you'd put words in my mouth. I took this job because you said this is your people. I took this job because you said you would lead them to the land. I took this job because you said you would drive out all the inhabitants. I took this job because of what you said. And now God's changing it. Does God have a reason to change it? Sure he does. These people are rebellion. He says, I may wipe them out if I stay with them too long. God doesn't want to wipe them out. He wants them to be preserved. And Moses hasn't done any of this. Can you imagine if you had a job and you took that job, you said, all right, you take this job, you're going to have an assistant, you're going to have five people under you to help you get that job done, I'm going to pay you this amount of money and we're going to give you a company car. And because of the people that are under you, were terrible people and they didn't uh, get the stuff done they were supposed to do. And you gave them all the equipment, you gave them all the supplies, but they were just sitting around there and loaf. The boss comes to you and says, all right, you have been doing an outstanding job. I didn't give you the best people to help you out with, but you know, I know they're, they're not doing what you're telling them to do. You're giving them instruction, you're giving them opportunity. They're just not following. I didn't give you the best people to, to follow. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cut your salary. I'm going to take away your company car. And uh, uh, you got to work longer hours. Are you going to take that deal? Well, you know, you're going to bring them back. Wait a minute. Well, hold, hold on. This is what I signed on for, right? This is what Moses is doing. This is what I signed on for. So all this time, God made a promise. If God makes a promise to Moses... And then God decides, I want to change that promise. Does Moses have the right to bring that to God's attention? Even though God is his superior. Well, I guess he does because he survives. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a good clue for us here. So Moses reviews the charge that God gave to him. And uh, this part about them being his people and all that sort of stuff. And consider that this nation is your people. So he goes on from here. And he said, my presence will go with you. And uh, well, Moses also, going back to verse, uh, put 13 back up on there. Or I'll just pull it up from, there we go. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider, this nation is your people. This nation is your people, not mine. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Who's the subordinate? Moses is, right? Obviously, God is God. But Moses says this, if your presence does not go with us, 
do not bring us up from here. Is that a little presumptuous on the side of, of Moses? Well, it might be, except that God said, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. I'll bring the people up. God says, I'll do all these different things. And now God says, I'm not going to do that now. And Moses says, if you don't go up, your presence doesn't go. If your presence, not an angel, if your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Did God change his mind? Why? Because someone spoke up a voice of correction or even a voice of criticism to God. But he did it very respectfully, didn't he? He just brought him to attention of what his word said. Just because you criticize, just because you correct does not mean you have to be rude. Does not mean you have to be angry. You can just simply say, hold on a minute. This is what this is what was supposed to happen. This is what you said would happen. Oh, let's see if we can fix that. You know, when you call customer service for whatever company you're calling customer service for, if you take that attitude, you'll probably get your system fixed a whole lot better. If you take an attitude of being respectful and, you know, well, this is what the contract said. This is what I'm supposed to have. This is what's supposed to be going on. If you stay respectful and don't get nasty, probably go a whole lot better for you. Verse 16, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? If you don't go with us, how are we going to be separate? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. He's saying what separates us from the rest of the people on this earth is that God is with us. Not an angel. God is with us. Now, there are fallen angels, aren't there? Are there not fallen angels that empower other leaders in the Word of God? Other kings? Other nations? The angel, the prince of Persia? There are other angels who go with other nations. They would become like other nations if all they had was an angel because there are sinful nations who had a fallen angel. And they would just have a non-fallen angel, but how would that be much different from what the rest of the nations are? So Moses is calling them on this. You want us to be separate? You want us to be distinct? We need the presence of God, not the presence of an angel. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. <laughs> it's always good that God knows you by name. Remember Jesus said in the uh, parable, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Well, God doesn't God know everyone's name? I'm just reading you what the Bible says. People reason it out and they think, well, God knows everybody. Well, apparently, he's not very mindful of you if you're not in the, in the family. My sheep know my voice. Depart from me, I never knew you, so forth. Make sure that God knows who you are. Makes no difference if you know who God is. Nothing in the Bible says that if you know who God is, you're saved. Nothing. You're saved when God knows who you are. Get God's attention. How do you get God's attention? Listen to His Word. Do what His Word says. Simple as that. How do we know? Remember that uh, part we, got, we brought in the song? Do you love me? How do we know if we love God? 
We do His commandments. That's how you know you love Him. Do His commandments. So uh, Moses, we're doing good here with God. We've uh, changed God's direction. God was going to send an angel. Now He's going to still keep going with us. So He decides to uh, go for a little bit more. I mean, if you go into your boss's office and you ask for a raise and the boss gives you a raise, maybe it's a good time to ask for an extra week of vacation. And he said, please show me your glory. You know, while we're here, <laughs> please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while... My glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will, I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So Moses got to see the backside of God. That was awesome enough. And that's about all that God said he could take. Otherwise, uh, he, it's not that he would die and go to hell. He just would, would not be around anymore. Not on the earth. Too, too great. If you would turn over in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to begin reading at verse 21. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings. Nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have, you have bought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have worried, wearied me with your iniquities. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. So what God says here, Brother Hagin used to love to quote this, this scripture. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. That sometimes you can go back, if you know the word of God and you have faith in the word of God, you can put God in remembrance of his word. What he has said. What has God said? Well, you said this. Moses is putting God in remembrance. Well, you said your presence would go with us. We're not leaving without your presence. And God says, all right, I'll do this thing. Put God in remembrance. When we pray, too often Christians are praying to talk God into doing something. You don't need to. Just tell God what he said he would do. Well, God, here's your word. You said that you would take care of my needs. You said that you would heal my body. You said that you would provide for me here. You said that you would give me wisdom. This is what you said in your word. When you do that, you're telling God, I have faith in your word. I have confidence that you're going to bring about your word. You're not ordering God to do anything. You're simply putting him in remembrance of what he said. We do that with people all the time. How many times have we uh, put our spouse in remembrance of something that they said? How many times have we put our boss in remembrance of something that they said? Wait a minute, you, you said in a year I'd get a raise. <laughs> you said in a year I would get a review. You said in this amount of time, this would happen. 
It hasn't happened yet. Oh, I did say that, didn't I? All right, well, and how many of y'all know bosses are not always, companies are not always quite so willing to offer up the money until you put them in remembrance? Put them in remembrance. Is it a bad thing to put them in remembrance? No, it's a good thing. Put God in remembrance of his word. What has he said? That's all we need to do. But you've got to remember his word and you've got to have faith in his word. Make sure that you do that. So here's, uh, he says, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. He used to give an example of uh, one of his relatives. He, prayed, he said he prayed every single one of his relatives out of death except one. One he did not. They died. I think it was a, uh, it was a sister, sister-in-law or something like that. It was, it was along those, those lines. And he didn't know why. Never knew why. And one of the times he had a, uh, a vision and was called up before, before God, before Jesus, he, uh, he was uh, uh, asking about this. He's asking about this. And the Lord said this to him. He says, the secret thing belongs to me. You don't know what happened. You don't know. There's other things going on in there. You don't know. And he, had a, he, says, he told him this. He said, but don't ever visit that again in your thought life. He said, that was, that was a tough order, but I said, I did it. I made sure I didn't visit that again in my thought life. He let it go. But there was another time when his father-in-law was sick. There's other people that he, they were, he prayed out of death, and he, he, he would contend with God. And he'd put them in remembrance of that. Um, one in particular was a member of his church. They fell from an, into an oil rig. Or they fell in, somehow had this accident, fell into a pit, and um, close to death. And uh, Brother Hagen was called out on the scene. He came out on the scene. The doctor was on the scene. And he called down the doctor. Uh, down there, he says, is, is, is he alive? And the doctor says, I thought he was dead, but no, he is still alive. But if we move him, he'll surely die. So Brother Hagen, he stayed there at the, at the pit, and he began to put God in remembrance. He said, God, I depend on that man. If I depend on that man, if I need that man, then you need him. I won't let him die. And he just kept going on that. He was talking about all the things that he did for the kingdom of God. For the people in the church. He says, I need them. He'd always end it this way. If I need them, you need them. I won't let them die. And so he kept, he didn't die. He just kept hanging around. And so the doctor says, well, he hasn't died yet. We've got to get him out of the pit. So let's take him out of the pit. So they carried him out of the pit and he didn't die. And um, he kind of, Brother Hagin says, I think he kind of knew I was holding him there. And so he said, uh, you and me, let's get in the ambulance and let's, let's take him on over to the hospital. He said, I don't know why he's not dead yet. He ought to be. And so they took him over to the hospital. And they had him in, in the hospital. And, uh, you know, he's in, he's in bad shape. They don't, he's probably not going to make it through the night, they're saying. But he would, Brother Hagen kept going, putting God in remembrance. All the things that was going on. His family that needed him. He had kids. He had a wife. They need him. God, if I need him, you need him. I won't let him die. And so he stayed with him that night in the hospital. And he was just uh, praying there at the side, praying in tongues. And uh, we dozed off all of a sudden. And when he came back in, the nurse was in there. And the nurse was over top of him. This was a long time ago. They didn't have all the different uh, machinery they have now. The nurse was over top of him. And he said, oh, dear, dear Lord, I'm going to sleep and let him die. So he got up and says to the nurse, he says, is he dead? And she said, no, I thought he was, but he's not. And so Brother Hagen got up and he started to pace. He began to walk around, went out into the hall room, the hallway. And he began to go through the same thing. 
Father God, he does this for the church. He's working on the. He does these things. I depend on him. If I need him, you need him. And went back on into the room. And he kept doing that throughout the night. And he made it through the night. No one knows how he made it through the night. And the doctor came in in the morning and says, I, I, just, I, I, I don't know what to say. I didn't think he would make it through the night. I'm just shocked that he made it through the night. But he does seem to be getting a little bit stronger. And uh, he said, I'm not saying we're out of the woods yet, but it is looking better. And before long, another day or two, he was even better yet. He came out of that hospital, went back to work. And afterwards, he, he came over to Brother Hagen, and he said, uh, he said, Brother Hagen, he said, I heard you. I heard you were praying. He said, when did you hear me? He said, well, you said this. And he went through the whole list of what he said. And he went to the end. He said, and if you said to God, if I need him, you need him. I, I won't let him die. He said, well, how did you hear that? You weren't even conscious then. He says, well, I was up in heaven. And when I got to heaven, I was met by the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus says, you can't stay. He says, why can't I stay? I want to stay. Everybody who's ever gone to heaven always wants to stay because it's so wonderful. He says, what do you mean I can't stay? I want to stay. He says, you can't stay. And he, he said, he pulled back what looked like a curtain. And I could see down here on the earth and I could hear you and see you praying for me. And I heard, if I need them, you need them. I won't let them die. And then I was out of heaven. I was in my body. Put God in remembrance. It's good to put God in remembrance. We're not convincing God to do the thing. We're telling God we believe what he said. Well, he also had another case of his father-in-law. And his father-in-law uh, was not a believer most of the time he knew him, but he did eventually get saved. And he got his life turned around. And uh, he, he never had to- total victory over sin. But he was in a, at the best shape he had been in his life, spiritually speaking. And he uh, uh, had a stroke, had some kind of... He was in the hospital. He was unconscious. And Brother Hagen came in and he did like he always did. Well, we're going to contend on this thing. I'm going to put God in remembrance. And he says, I'm not going to let him die. He needs this, this. And began to go through the, the list of things. And God contended with him. And he says, he needs... He said, he's, he's been in a bad shape all his life. This is the best place he has ever been in his life to come home and be with me. He said, let him come home. God contended with Brother Hagin. Let him come home. And so Brother Hagin said, he said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll let him come home on one condition. I'll let him come home on one condition. That you let him wake up out of the coma that he's in and get, leave a good testimony for his family. God said, all right. Well, one of the days, he was still unconscious. One of the days they were in the hospital room, all the family was there. And all of a sudden, for no explainable reason, he woke up and he sat up. And he talked to each family member that was there. And he said goodbye to them. And then after he got through speaking to all the family members, he laid back down and slipped back into the coma. And he stayed that way for a number of more days. Brother Hagen was in the room one time. 
by himself, just with him and Mr. Mr. Rooker was his name. And all of a sudden, he came out of the coma and he woke up. And he looked at Brother Hagin. He said, Kenneth. He says, yeah, I'm here. He said, Kenneth, I'm going to die. He says, I know you are. He said, but you're in good shape. You know where you're going. Just lay back and let her go. A smile came on his face. He laid back and went on to be with Jesus. Good stories. Heard them a number of times. There's a contending together with the Lord. That we can contend with him and put him in remembrance of his word. But there may also be a time he may contend with us. And say that thing that you want. Yes, I can do it because it's in my word. But consider this. And we sometimes need to consider the other side. Contend together. Listen to God. Hear what he has to say on this thing. Now I put in your outline this. God does not forget what he says. You don't have to put God in remembrance because God's forgetful. He's not. He tells us not to be a forgetful hearer. Certainly he is not. But people who have faith in what he says will not be moved from it. If you have faith in what God says, you won't be moved from it. Even if God says, I'm not going to go with you. Moses says, oh, no, you, I have faith in what you said, and you will go with us. God says, all right, I will. Putting a leader in remembrance of what is written, spoken, or the purpose of an office is always okay. Be respectful. Be courteous. Be kind. Be loving. Be all the other things that the Word of God tells you to be. Don't stop being those things to be corrective. We've seen the Word of God when you correct a a brethren. Do it in a spirit of gentleness. Maintain that attitude of love. These are things that the Word of God tells us. Make sure that you realize you could also be tempted. You could also fall. Don't correct them from a superior place. But put in a leader in remembrance of what is written, spoken, or, or the purpose of an office is always okay. It's all right to do that. Remember the story of uh, uh, Jeroboam and Ahab when they were going to go to battle together? And Je- Jehoshaphat and, and uh, Ahab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord we can consult of, of, of God? And Ahab says, Well, there is one, but he never speaks anything good about me. And Jehoshaphat said to the king, He says, Let not the king say such things. Call him. And so they called the this prophet, this is after the room was filled with 400 false prophets, and they all said, go into the battle, you will win. Great story. Don't have time to get into it now. But Micaiah was called, and Micaiah said, yeah, go to the battle. Obtain a victory. But he said it kind of sarcastically. And the king said, come on, I've always told you to tell me what God says. He has not, but he said that anyway, showing off for Jehoshaphat. And so he said, I saw the scene in heaven. And he unfolds a scene that he saw in heaven where God says, how will I get Ahab to go into battle? And one said this and another said that. And one came up and said, I will be a lying voice in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, you will succeed. Go. Now, there's a whole mess of stuff in that story, but I'm just bringing it up for this. There was rebuke that was brought to the king. and He didn't receive it. Jeremiah brought rebuke to kings. They didn't receive it. Isaiah brought rebuke to kings and they didn't receive it. 
when they didn't receive it, what happens to them? They will eventually go. In the book of Revelation, chapters 1, 2, and 3, there are seven letters written to seven churches. Five of those letters are corrective. And God says, if you don't fix these problems, your candlestick will be removed. You need to fix them. You need to do them. And everything that he called them on were things that were written in his word. Everything that he said. They were things they were supposed to do. If a leader is to refuse such a correction, a rebuke, is to operate under your own, your own or a different authority than God. If God sends correction and that leader or that person decides not to obey, they are either under their own authority or they are moving themselves under a different authority. Isn't that right? If you don't receive God's correction, you're not going to be in God's position. Now, a leader is not to fulfill our wants or whims. You may have a... a you know, the Word of God talks about you have put teachers in your midst to scratch your itching ears. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you said you have itching ears and you get leaders that will, that will teach according to that. We have people in the body of Christ who, well, I want to be taught on this and this and this and not these things. Don't teach me about sin. Don't teach me about prophecy. Don't teach me about the Holy Spirit. I would just want to learn about this, this, and this. That's not right. A leader is not there to fulfill your wants or your whims or to do the things that you want to, to have done. That's not what a leader is there to do. And nor is God. You are here to serve God. God is not here to serve you. So you listen to what God has to say. What has God spoken? Written? These are His promises. And these we are told to put Him in remembrance of. Put Him in remembrance of His promises. That's what we should do. Now we've got leaders in our country. And we are able... And should correct and criticize them when they fall from what they are supposed to do. In our country, we have presidents. We have congressmen. We have governors. We have mayors. We have different people. But they all have clear responsibilities. If they operate outside of those responsibilities, should they not be held accountable? The mayor down in Houston, when she decides to tell what pastors ought to preach in their church. Is that good? When the IRS decided to subpoena the prayers the church has made. Is that, is that right? But these things have gone on in this country. If we have leaders that would get out of hand. Our founding fathers knew that. And so they, they created what they called a balance of power. Between the three branches. To make sure... They figured that each one would want their power and would not give it up to the other so that each one would fight for their own power that they were supposed to have. And we have leaders all throughout our history who have tried to push the buttons to go beyond what their power is for their office, whether it be mayor, governor, senator, congressman, state representative, president, whatever the place of power is, they tried to go beyond it. And there are checks and balances to pull that back in. Just as an example, when the president is sworn in, he is sworn in with his hand on the Bible, and he is sworn in to uphold the Constitution, to execute the laws of the land, and to protect our nation from enemies, both domestic and foreign. That's what they're charged to do. 
Senators are charged in a similar way. Representatives are charged. They're made a charge of what they're supposed to do. And when they get out of hand, who is to correct them? But somehow we have gotten the notion in the church that presidents, congressmen, senators are beyond reproach. That God has put them in place. I will tell you this. This will be a little controversial for you. And some people won't all be able to hear it. But God has not put a single president in charge of this country. Not a single one. Who has put the presidents in charge of this country? The people who vote. If you want to believe that God put a president in power, you must also believe that God caused the people to vote a certain way. Can God do that? Maybe God created votes and put them in. Can God do that? If God cannot create votes and he cannot steer you in your vote, then did God put the president in power? No. When Israel had kings, did God put them in power? Some. Was Saul put in power because of God? Yeah, because of requests of the people, but God picked them. Was David put in power because of God? Was Solomon put in power because of God? No. Solomon was not put in power because of God. Solomon was put in power because of the ways of the king was to put in a son of the current king. And God picked which son it would be. But it would when the kings came in, God even said, don't do this. Don't do this because, you know, you have a king who fears God. It's all going to be great. You have a king that doesn't fear God anymore. It's not going to be so good. Jeroboam, was he put in place because of God? Yes, God picked him. God called him and God picked him. But you have kings who were put in place because they were the son. You have kings who were put in place because they usurped. You have kings that were put in place because of wrongdoing. And God did not pick them and God did not want them. But they came into place anyway. So understand how things work. Don't just blame God for things. Well, if God didn't want this president president, he wouldn't be. That's wrong. The reason the president is president is because people voted for him. More people voted for him than voted for the other guy. The president before that, the reason he was in was because more people voted for him than the other guy. And the president before that, the same way. And the president before that, the same way. That's how it works in this country. That's how God set it up. Through people who were founding fathers. He helped them. I believe he helped them. I believe he gave them all kinds of things. But we have leaders that are not working to do what they said they would do. We have leaders that are not working to protect the Constitution. We have leaders in this country that have made it a uh, target to take away the First Amendment, the freedom of speech. To take away the amendment that gives you the right to bear arms. To take away, one after another, they're going after different amendments. If they can take away one, they can take away any. That's how it works. You cannot take a piece of it without taking it all. It will eventually all go away. We had this week with our president signing a, uh, that uh, uh, amnesty for all, for what, five million people are apparently going to be amnesty. Uh, have amnesty. This is something that he's been threatening to do most of the year. Put it off until after the elections because it was not popular with the people. Where does the power come from? 
the people. So he waits until after the election to do it. There's a reason for it. How many of you heard in the news media that this is no different than what Ronald Reagan did? Anybody heard that? A couple people heard it. Ronald Reagan signed a law that was passed through Congress. I didn't agree with it. I didn't like it when Ronald Reagan did it. But uh, Simpson Mazzoli was the name of the act. Voted through Congress and he signed it into operation. And a number of things were based off of that. The three million illegal aliens became legal with the promise that the borders would be secured and we would never have to do this again. That didn't happen. But that was not the same thing. What you have right now is you have a president who has signed with his pen to make, to basically what he's saying, and this is, the other, this is the second thing they're trying to say, is that he has the opportunity to decide who gets prosecuted, which he does as a president. He can issue a pardon and say you will not be prosecuted. That has been a right of a president for a long time. But they try and put that in there. It's not the same case, though. Because what he is saying is, if that's what the case that he's using, is that we will not prosecute, we will not deport these five million illegal aliens. That does not make them legal. If the officers in Pennsylvania, all the state troopers, all said, we are not going to enforce the speed limit on Thanksgiving Day so that you all may get to your destinations in time. I'm sure many of you would be grateful. But is speeding legal on Thanksgiving Day? It is still illegal to go at a speed higher than posted. It's just that they will not prosecute you for it. They will not stop you for it. They will not give you a ticket for it. Not prosecuting someone is not the same thing as making it legal. But in the president's speech, he declared that not only were they not going to be prosecuted, they would be made legal Residents, given a green card, working card, and such things like that. That's not within the power of the president. What he has done was, with the stroke of his pen, wiped away all the laws and said they are not existent. It's not the first time he's done it. It's not the second time he's done it. I could name for you a number of different times where he has disregarded the law, rewritten the law, and enforced what law he wanted to do. That's not within his power as president. I have criticized, I have corrected the actions of this president, the Bush presidency before him, the Clinton presidency before that, the Bush presidency before that, and the Reagan presidency before that. Because we as the people have the right to correct and to criticize as long as our foundation is what is written in the Constitution and what is spoken as the intention of the Founding Fathers. What is written as laws of this land are things we can hold this president to. And if a president, any president, this president or any other, decides he is above the law, we are in trouble. That's not a place to be. For 25 times on camera, President Obama stated that he does not have the power to do what he did this week. Twenty-five times he stated on camera that he did not have the power to do it. At one point he said, I am not the emperor of the United States. I am the president of the United States. And somehow 
he suddenly now has the power. How is that? If you hear people, if you see some things that are going on, this president, the one that would follow him, two years we're going to have a different president. We need to hold them to the same laws that this president and the ones prior to that would be, regardless of whether you like them or dislike them. If you criticize based on whether you like or dislike a president, you are wrong. Your foundation is off. Whether you like them or dislike them, you hold them to the Constitution. You hold them to the things that are written. Because if we allow lawlessness to come into us in this way, lawlessness will also creep in to our spiritual life. Because if you get off of the principle, is where you're going to have trouble. Understand criticism and correction, where it should come from, how it should come, and how God will correct you. Our voice is to call our representatives, our senators, Governors, whoever it is that we can, we can call. And make sure that you express your... You've, maybe you're in favor of what the president did. I'm not here to tell you whether you're in favor of it or not in favor of it. What I'm here to tell you is your, your voice should be heard. And whether you agree or disagree, you need to feel the free to speak up what you say because that's what this country is about. And that's what this country is founded on. But as far as God is concerned in our spiritual life and our spiritual walk, If you cut off correction, if you cut off operating in law, the law of the Word of God, the promises of the Word of God, what has God said to do? Because all that Satan has to do is get you to get off of his promises and just to believe, well, that's not for me. Just to go back to the garden and said, has God really said? Has God really said? If he can get you to question what God has said, Or if he can get you to question, well, this works for everybody else, but it won't work for me. That's wrong. You need to hold on to it just as as strongly. I know some people who hold more strongly to the law of the Constitution and the law of the land and holding candidates and presidents and congressmen and senators to it than they do to the Word of God. And the Word of God has more lasting importance. As passionate as we can get about political things, things going on in our country... Get even more passionate by the things of the word. What has God said to do? If God offers you criticism, if he offers you uh, correction, you need to listen. You need to respond. Because if you don't, you are changing your source of power. And how, if you change your source of power from God to Satan, how can you have authority over him in this world? If he is your source of power, How can he give you authority in this world? He cannot. Hold fast to the word of God. Do what he says to do. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in doing the things that are written in your word. That when we pray, we don't ever need to convince you to talk you into doing what your word said. We just need to remind you just to bring you to the father. You said this. Yeah, I know I said that. I was wondering if you knew it. (laughs) We just need to say, God, you said this. You told us in your word. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. There are things that are going on in our life that don't quite seem to measure up to the promises of God. We don't need to convince you. 
We don't need to try and play on your emotions. For the principles of God are all we need. We just need to do it like Moses did and come before you. Respectfully, reverently, honoring you all the time. And just say, Father, you said this in your word. And I thank you that you mean it. I thank you that you bring it about in my life. I thank you that you would do it for me. That you're no respecter of persons. What you've done for one, you will do for me. All I need to do is have faith and confidence in your word. Receive the correction that comes from you. And I receive your power. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, word of God. Before we go, we got some praise reports. And we'll tell you a little bit about what we're doing on, on Wednesday night here. again this morning about putting God in remembrance of his word about releasing our faith when we pray you know and when we pray the word of God we're releasing our faith in what his word said you know reminding him of the promise whether it be for your finances whether it be for the nation we have many promises for this nation that are written in the word of God and God is going to hold the church responsible for what happens in the nation if we don't do what we're supposed to be doing putting him in remembrance putting ourselves in remembrance of his word um Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Roshan had a praise report. She says, I referred a child to Alicia's school. The referral discount is given after three months enrollment, but praise God we were given the credit two months early. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Financial blessings. Woohoo. Um, Sharon says, I thank God for reducing my bills by a huge difference. Hmm. Also for helping me find someone else's keys, <laughs> which I had in my possession. And also for the ladies' meeting yesterday, which reassured me of what I already learned and uh, know from the word of God. Praise hmm. God. Good. Vanessa said, at work last week, I was asked to write a document, and I didn't know how to tackle it. I asked God for wisdom and got busy, and when I was finished, my supervisor said I did a good job. Amen. God's wisdom. And Tony is getting her, new, her car on November, oh, December the 3rd. Okay, praise God. New car. Daryl said, God brought correction into my life this week through someone that commanded, <coughs> commanded my complete and full attention. <laughs> That's awesome. Now this one. Okay, here's one. Now this is a praise report. <laughs> I feel like we should have that little ticker tape thing going on. This is from Susan. She has much to praise God about this week. She says, I heard someone say that when a challenge comes their way, it's an opportunity to see God work. That's proved true in my case many times. When my stepson first announced his engagement, the question of whether or not to attend the wedding became a big issue. I had not traveled in many in over 10 years and only once by myself. We decided early on that the trip would be, much, uh, would be too much for mom to go. Um, with finances, how to get to Philly and then travel once I arrived in Florida, hotel accommodations, wedding attire, airline decisions, and going through the security checkpoints, it, was, it seemed overwhelming. Three things stood out in my mind as I wrestled with the problems. I was afraid, and that wasn't of God. So my stepson had moved heaven and earth to be at our wedding back in 2003. Um, I had to make it an effort to do something for him. My heart was at peace only when I thought about going to the wedding. I prayed about the issue, and one by one, the Lord worked them out. The end results, Jolly took me to and from the airport. My sister-in-law picked me up and opened her home to me. As we communicated, she also asked me if I'd like to attend her baptism. I was shouting right along with the angels. Praise God. 
that just hit me. <laughs> um, I've been praying for her salvation since David and I met in 2002. <clears throat> we had a wonderful time getting to know each other better. We also gave some pictures. She gave her some pictures of David when he was a young child and a young man. The lines of communication are open and uh, between her and her stepson. I've been praying about their relation, their relationship between the two of them and also for him to find a nice girl to marry. His bride is a sweetheart and very family-oriented. I was whisked through security as though I was a VIP. Well, after all, I am a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Whenever I needed assistance, someone was there to give me a hand. My luggage arrived in Florida before me. How many of you know that alone is a blessing? <laughs> Not to go wondering where it's at. And came with me on the return trip. Nothing was lost. Since there was a storm in Philly the day I traveled home, I was concerned about the flight being diverted. They even mentioned it on the plane. We were one of the last flights to land before everything slowed to a crawl. Praise God for working out every detail. So praise God for that. And I don't know how many of you have seen the pictures of them up on Facebook and their wedding, but it looked like it was an awesome time. Um, another one, Susan said, I ordered a Subaru Impreza. On November the 1st, I was told it wouldn't arrive until sometime in December. A few days ago, I received an invitation to the dealership's open house. They were doing a benefit for the Keystone Opportunity Center. I had a strong sense that I was to attend. While there, I met the director, and we had a good conversation. I was able to share about God's Treasure House, my books, and the Justice Network, co-founded by one of my author friends. When Sheila, my salesperson, finished with her customers, she informed me that my car should arrive on December the 12th. I smiled at her and told her I wasn't surprised. I had been praying. I also told her not to be surprised if it arrived earlier. She said I must be praying a lot. <laughs> After Mom and I did our grocery shopping, I stopped home to drop mine off. A message was flashing on my answer machine, and she thought, uh-oh, another telemarketer. But she listened to it anyway and found that she had won the raffle for a Garmin GPS system. <laughs> so praise God. What a nice way to cap off the day. I'm reminded of the scripture that talks about blessings chasing us down. Right. Hallelujah. Right. We talked about that. Praise God. Praise God for He's done, for what he's done and the opportunity to plant seed in the hearts of those that I met. And one more. She's got another awesome, awesome praise report. Just before I left for Florida, my publisher told me he wanted to release my book before the, be or in the beginning of December. When I returned home, I hit the last of the editing task hard. When I tried to put the document on my backup thumbnail drive, which I'm just now learning what these things are, um, it wouldn't go. He said, I tried everything I knew would work, but it failed. I sent out an SOS on Facebook, <laughs> and all my scenarios went through my mind, but I pushed them aside. I prayed before I went to bed, and the Lord gave me the answer in the morning. I had another thumbnail drive, which contained the Moses Conspiracy. I was able to get the book onto that drive and send the document to my publisher from the computer hooked to the Internet. So I'm now looking at graphics for the cover, writing the synopsis, and taking care of all the details. Um, she's asking to keep, keep her in prayer that everything falls into place. Um, Out of the Mist is the final book in the Moses Trilogy. So that's coming to be. So praise God how he's working and, and all the wonderful things that he's doing. Amen. Um, praise the I see that. All right, oh, Wednesday. Before I forget, Ethel has sent a message over that the Children's Church has some things for everybody to help celebrate Thanksgiving so don't leave right off the bat. I guess they will bring them over. Wednesday, we will have a Thanksgiving service. So 7.30, we'll start with that. Come on out. We're going to have some songs of Thanksgiving. We're going to have 
some Thanksgiving things from the Word of God, and we want you to bring in things that you are thankful and grateful for. These are different from praise reports. Praise reports are what God has done for you this week. God did this, God did this. I want to know things that you are grateful to have, things that are in your life that just constantly bless you, things that God has added, things that, that God has done for you. So we're going to have that on, on Wednesday. So if you want to come on out, Wednesday, 730, we'll have a Thanksgiving service on that one. Of course, Thanksgiving Day is Thursday. And uh, I'm sure we have lots of things to be thankful for on Thanksgiving Day, turkey and ham and football and turkey and ham and football <laughs> and potatoes. I already put my order in before. She said, what do you want for Thanksgiving? I said, turkey, ham, that's fine, and potatoes. Yeah, stuffing? No, I don't care about stuff. Stuffing's there, that's fine, but turkey, ham, and potatoes. What else? Oh, cornbread. I did say, I did say cornbread, yeah. Need to have some cornbread in there and butter. You need butter to put on there. Now we're all getting hungry. You're ready to roll. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. Come on. Didn't you, didn't you read the comic in the bulletin today? <laughs> no, no broccoli. Not on my plate. Uh, anyway, that's going to be, be going on there. So uh, have a good time on Thanksgiving if we don't get to see you before that. Bless some folks before you get out of here and go. And... Um, Enjoy the nice warmer weather that comes in today, tomorrow. 60 degrees tomorrow, I heard. That's all right. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. So uh, have a great rest of your day. You want to um, throw in the music?